Okay, here we go. Isaiah 52 to 53, some of the most powerful and wonderful chapters in the book of Isaiah or in scripture in general. And even though it's not very many verses, there's no way we can cover them all in class because there's so much good stuff there. So let's do some fun stuff beforehand. I just want to point out, and I'll just read this to you, but portions of this chapter are quoted often in Scripture. John the Revelator and Paul referred to it. So did Nephi, Jacob, the wicked priest of King Noah, Abinadi, Moroni, and Christ in the Book of Mormon, and Joseph Smith in the Doctrine and Covenants. Of the two times the Savior referred to these passages in 3 Nephi 16 and 20, the second time he quoted it extensively, though he rearranged the order of the verses. So these are clearly, it's not just us who thinks that these are powerful uh, chapters and verses that, that uh, scriptural authors do as well. They get quoted all over the place. So let's go in to look at Isaiah 51 through uh, verses 1 through 2, and that's all we'll cover, and, and not even fully that, but in a good way uh, here in this video. And um, of course, you shouldn't be surprised if I say that the first thing we need to do is look at the verses before it to try and understand it. So the last couple of verses before chapter 52 uh, read this way. Therefore, hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, but not with wine. Thus saith thy Lord, the Lord, and thy God, so that would say, thus saith thy Lord, Jehovah, is how it really reads, and thy God that pleadeth the cause of his people. So, covenant language right away. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, which have said to thy soul, bow down that we may go over, and thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. So he's saying the immediate context is that as they are taken out of affliction, whether that be to the Assyrians or uh, even more specifically, it seems like he's talking about when they will have uh, affliction from the Babylonians, but really any of these times, at some point after their affliction, God will say the affliction is over, you've had enough, and now... I'm going to afflict those that afflict you. Abraham covenant language would be curse those that curse you. I'm going to relieve your oppression by getting rid of your oppressors. That's um, what it means. Now, of course, we see uh, this fulfillment in Christ where our largest oppressors are death and hell and so on. In any case, that's the setting for these next couple of verses. So, before we read those couple of verses, I want to read uh, chapter 47 to remind us of some imagery. This is when God was speaking to Babylon and how he would oppress Babylon uh, as, as a way of getting rid of how they were oppressing Judah. And he said, come, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne. Remember, they said they would be a lady for forever and so on and so on. But now he's telling them, uh, to sit on the ground, they are not a lady anymore. They don't have a, a throne or a chair or anything. They are captives, so they sit in the ground, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no be called, shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. This is what they had servants for, but now they'll have to do it. Uncover thy locks, make bare thy leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. So this is them. Now, instead of being dressed in their finery with all the long gowns and so on, they're dressed as slaves, um, not covered and sometimes even naked. And um, they are, are in uh, humiliation and servitude, right? So 
we're going to contrast that with what we get in chapter 52. So remember our context, we're contrasting these images that Babylon was going to have to go through and that Judah had already gone through, right? So Judah's gone through this, and in order to get them out of it, Babylon will be oppressed and go through it, and that will allow Judah to come out of it. And let's remember uh, whoops, uh, what we just read at the end, that he's going to take this terrible state away from them and put it on, on Babylon, right? So now we get to 51 or 52, 1 through 2, and we want to ask what it means in this context. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So note how he is telling them, as they are being relieved from oppression, um, to, to instead of being uncovered the way the um, Babylonians were doing as they lost their long, beautiful garments. Instead, Judah, who had uh, spent all this time uncovered as servants, as slaves, will put on their beautiful garments, um, and they no longer have to deal with um, not being of the covenant or, or uh, having people who were not of the covenant oppress them. So they're going to shake themselves from the dust. Remember, the Babylonians were told to sit in the dust. They will shake themselves from the dust. They will arise, and they'll sit down, implied is, on the throne or on the chair. Remember the ones that the Babylonians no longer had? They had to sit in the ground. The Jews have been sitting on the ground. Now they'll arise from there and sit down on a chair. And they will loose themselves from the bands of their neck. That's the kind of thing you put around a slave as you haul them from one place to another and so on. So... That's good, beautiful stuff, isn't it? And hopefully we can understand a little bit more what is being said there. Now let's consider some other context for it as we look at how it's used in 2 Nephi. So we've got 2 Nephi 8. This is Jacob teaching. And he says, Therefore hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken and not with wine. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord, uh, so thy Lord Jehovah, and thy God pleaded the cause of his people. Behold, I've taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury, thou shalt no more drink it again, but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, who have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over, and thou hast laid thy body as the ground on the street to them that went over. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. You'll recognize that, right? He's quoting from the end of 51 and the beginning of 52. And then uh, there should be no chapter heading or break. We're just going to 2 Nephi 9, 1 through 7. That's the next thing he says. And this is Jacob's commentary on those verses. And now, my beloved brethren, I've read these things that you might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all the house of Israel. So these are promises to all of Israel. That he has spoken unto the Jews by the mouth of his holy prophets, even from the beginning down from generation to generation until the time comes that they shall be restored to the true church and fold of God when they shall be gathered home to the lands of their inheritance and shall be established in all their lands of promise. Behold, my beloved brethren, I speak unto you these things that you may rejoice and lift up your heads forever because of the blessings which the Lord God shall bestow upon your children. For I know that ye have searched much, many of you, to know of things to come. Wherefore, I know that ye know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. Yea, I know that ye know that in the body he shall show himself unto those at Jerusalem, 
from whence we came, for it is expedient that it should be among them, for it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh, and die for all men, that all men might become subject unto him. For as death hath passed upon all men to fulfill the merciful plan of the great creator, there must needs be a power of resurrection, and the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall, and the fall came by reason of transgression, and because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. So let's just kind of review quickly. We, got, we have him reading from Isaiah, then saying he's doing this so that they'll know about the covenants with all the house of Israel. And it's the Jews and they'll be on the lands of promise. And he wants them to be able to rejoice because they know these things. And then he goes on to talking about how Christ will come to Jerusalem, um, but they'll be uh, there. He'll suffer because he's rejected, and um, and that will make it so that uh, corruption can put on incorruption, and and so on and so on, right now. And then he'll go on to talk about salvation from death and hell. And we usually think of all of this as individual salvation. We're gonna not read the whole of Second Nephi nine, which is a great chapter. In being saved from death and hell and all that kind of stuff, but we're going to go to the end of it and the beginning of chapter 10. I've taken out the chapter break like we really should. Um, so, behold, my beloved brethren, remember the words of your God. Pray unto him continually by day and give thanks unto his holy name by night. Let your hearts rejoice. So that's his tie back in. Remember, he's telling them he wanted them to be able to rejoice. And now, behold, how great the covenants of the Lord and how great his condescensions unto the children of men. And because of his greatness and his grace and mercy, he has promised unto us that our seed shall not utterly be destroyed according to the flesh, but that he would preserve them. And in future generations, they shall become a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. So note how he's still talking about how the covenants are for all of them. And now, my brethren, I would ask, uh, I would speak unto you, but on the morrow I will declare unto you the remainder of my words. Amen. So then he goes to bed, gets up the next day, and this is what he says. And now I, Jacob, speak unto you again, my beloved brethren. So he's continuing the topic concerning this righteous branch of which I have spoken. For behold, the promises which we have obtained are promises unto us according to the flesh. Wherefore, as it has been shown unto me that many of our children shall perish in the flesh because of unbelief, nevertheless, God will be merciful unto many, and our children shall be restored that they may come to that which will, uh, that which will give them the true knowledge of their Redeemer. Wherefore, as I said unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ, for in the last night the angel spake unto me that this should be his name, should come among the Jews, among those who are the more wicked part of the world, and they shall crucify him. For thus it behooveth our God, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. So, I want to ask you, has Jacob been talking about individual or communal salvation? And I think the answer is he's been talking about communal salvation. We usually think of all this about death and hell and the infinite atonement and uh, corruption, putting on incorruption as being about individuals, and in a way it is. But largely, it really is communal salvation. It's uh, seen as this is how Christ will bring about the salvation of all Israel. He'll say all these Israelite individuals, but he'll do it as a way of saving all of Israel as he honors his covenant with Israel. Uh, and so the focus is on that communal salvation, even though this is actually where the Book of Mormon introduces the tie between individual and communal salvation that uh, if you study the Book of Mormon, the pendulum starts swinging. They talk only about individual until Christ comes and he moves it firmly back into the communal salvation camp. But um, 
I, I hope that this can help us understand 52, one through two better. Yes, it is about how Christ will save you and how he will save me. Um, and we can arise and put on our beautiful garments and so on and so on. But really it is largely about how uh, we will be saved as he saves Israel as a whole. And really we will be saved as we focus on saving Israel as a whole. And that's good stuff that's worth thinking about. All right, see you in class.